Welcome to the Mill Creek View, Tennessee podcast with your host, Steve Abramowitz, editor-in-chief of the Mill Creek View newspaper. Welcome to my favorite time of the month, the Let's Go Brandon time of the month with our very special guest, not that Brandon, our Brandon Lewis of TennesseeConservativeNews.com covers the stories that mainstream media ignores like wasted tax dollars on corporate welfare, drag in the honky tonks, choice lanes, dove hunting season, tornado watch, Phil Williams, Channel 5, Nashville fan club, Porno books and hustler magazines in the school library for five-year-olds. Gross, hard-hitting stuff like that. Plus the Rhino Report. BL, how are you today? I am great, and I want to thank uh, Steve and Steve for uh, my kerfuffle. I, I like Steve makes his living doing something else, but cares about conservatism. I make my living doing something else. I care about conservatism, and so occasionally. The, the careers and the uh, activism get all out of alignment. So I'm glad we were still able to make this happen since I dropped the ball. Glad to be here. Yes. Well, and a year ago at this time, you would have been standing uh, above floorboards. So it looks like you have a different background there in a house that now looks almost complete. Yes. <laughs> all, right. all right. Well, you know, it was supposed to be another slow news cycle, but I'm not sure that phrase even exists anymore in the news business since the Clinton Mona Lewinsky blue dress days. Um, and I know you don't follow world events or much of D.C. because you love your Tennessee and like me, don't want to Californicate it or see it turn into Stanford University East. But sometimes they drag us in. Can't help it. Can't look away. Uh Let's just jump into this. Y'all endorsed Andy Ogles for U.S. Congress in the newly created District 5. How do you think he, Green, Fleischman from your neck of the woods, Diane Harshberger, Tim Burchett, Des Jarlins, Rose Kustoff, and everyone else, American hero, everyone's favorite, Steve Cohen, congressional leaders from Tennessee and D.C., how are they doing? Well, it's kind of hard to know how people in Congress are doing, which is one of the reasons I don't keep up with it that much because we've got a handful of people in a sea of liberals and rhinos up there. So my ability to make a difference isn't the best, uh, but I was heartened to see the uh, ouster of McCarthy. Uh, I do hope that, and maybe because I've been recording these uh, videos at the house, maybe we, do we have a speaker? You would be able to tell me, no, we still don't have one. You, you're uh, the speaker meet, of the house right now. Okay, so I got to meet Jim Jordan uh, with Congressman Desjardins at some point. I assume he voted for him. I've not followed the story very closely. Uh, and he seemed like an all right guy, but all of them do. Uh, but he has been outspoken, conservative, and against the grain on most matters outside looking in. I don't follow it as closely uh, as I do Tennessee politics. Often the image of someone's record and their record have nothing to do with one another. You can make a big stink in a ruckus to grab cameras, but that's not the same as governing. That's not the same as legislating. So I'm hoping that, that folks like Ogles and Desjardins, uh, the ones and Harshbarger, the, the ones that tend to be more conservative overall, will probably get behind Jim Jordan. Um, I think it is uh, 
a testament to what a small group of conservative holdouts can do when the situation is right to bring governance uh, back in order. So 22 Republicans voted no. All the Tennessee ones, except for Steve Cohen, of course, voted uh, yes. So he is not going to be speaker today. Um, and it's not because of the Tennessee uh, delegation. It's it's the other ones. It's the rhinos from New York and even uh, Bacon, uh, who has shown his bacon. Um, but Congressman Andy Ogles is from Tennessee. You did endorse him. He joined Congressman Tom Tiffany from Wisconsin, of all places, in filing a bill that would prevent the Biden administration from allowing Palestinians to enter the U.S. seeking refuge in light of the ongoing conflict between Israel and Hamas as pro-Israel and pro-Palestine protesters clash in Nashville. That's from your website. Of all places, Nashville, pro-Palestinian protesters. Um, what do you make out of that story? Well, I think it the larger piece, which I often don't get into large theoretical arguments because I think they're sort of pointless, but the larger situation that we have both in Tennessee and, and nationally with the Palestine-Israel conflict has specifically to do with this whole uh, critical theory uh, strategy that liberals and leftists have grabbed onto to attack uh, traditional Western values from day one. And there is no uh, bigger target than Israel because they represent that. Why people would get behind uh, the values of a country that, according to their own leaders, hates the living guts of Americans, more or less, and wants to uh, take away the sovereignty of another nation. And I think if anyone in Tennessee had an opportunity to defend themselves, if someone was coming into their home, uh, attacking their family, setting fire to their house. The thought that you should just let that happen without any type of retaliation or self-defense is ludicrous. Yet we have the left in abundance pushing this. And I believe it all falls underneath that critical umbrella of destroying um, what Western civilization, what freedom, uh, what federalism gives us. And so I, I am not surprised in any way shape or form uh, the depravity of the left uh the you know god has told us what's going to happen with all of this it is written down in the book and so as these things continue to happen i don't think conservative christians uh should be surprised but i do think that we are called uh to fight against it uh practically not just as keyboard warriors and to uh speak out against it as well my friend, you just described the legal system in the state of Washington. So uh, <laughs> the fact that it's happening here in Nashville is upsetting. Uh, but yes, uh, that is correct. Okay, lots of news, not a lot of time. So let's jump into some more headlines right off of your beloved website, www.tennesseeconservativenews.com. All spelled out because you're a mean Republican who thinks people need to know how to spell. Item number one. Navigating today's political climate as a young Christian conservative female, Adelia Kirchner on the Mill Creek View Tennessee podcast. I've heard of that. What are your think? What were you thinking hiring a Gen Z female? I'm thinking I got very lucky. Uh, Adelia is remarkably gifted in her ability to write, uh, her ability to express conservative ideals uh, from a younger perspective, uh, and to to speak directly to camera uh, about those issues. Uh, 
she is going to go far one day, uh, hopefully in my old age and dotage, if, if the rest of my family uh, should go on to the great reward. Adelia will still be young and spry. Maybe she'll help an old man out. Uh, but she is just fantastic. Her writing uh, is spot on, in-depth. Um, you know, it goes to show you uh, the value of a homeschool education and and what all she was able to learn through loving parents that uh, instructed her in the way of faith and in the, the, the great republic that we have here. So I'm just uh, tickled, uh, and we are lucky, beyond lucky, to have her on the staff. And she, did she call you out of the phone book, or did you go recruit her somehow? She, you know, we are at the, at the Tennessee Conservative, I often say, uh, we are not a corporate news publication that is bought and paid for by people that hate our ideology, which is uh, every other news outlet in the state of Tennessee just about. But rather, uh, we are kind of a confederacy of conservatism, uh, conservatives rather, that that get together not out of a love of money, but out of a, a love of the principles of conservatism. So somehow, some way, she got to us, uh, and, and we are very lucky. That was a fortuitous event. God moves. Okay. Um, okay. I know this is going to be hard for you. You have a stern reputation for, as a boss, but tell us something nice about Jason Vaughn. Jason Vaughn is one of the hardest working, uh, hardest uh, overworked, underpaid uh, people in journalism in Tennessee. He has got a multitude of skills and gifts. Uh, he is empathetic when he needs to be, uh, but he doesn't take any BS uh, unless he has to. Uh, and if it weren't for him, uh, he is the man behind the curtain. And he likes to be behind the curtain uh, and work behind the scenes. But if, if there were no Jason Vaughn, I doubt seriously there would be a Tennessee conservative. So subscribers everywhere should rejoice. Uh, send him nice, uh, nice messages, uh, whatever you can do, uh, because we're lucky to have him as well. Yeah. Well, as hardworking as he is and as underpaid, it's not as hardworking or as unpaid as you and I. So that's another story. But all right. <laughs> Real headrides from TTC.com. Nullification bill may have an opportunity to be heard again in next year's general session. A bill sponsored by Senator Janice Bowling, Republican Tallahoma District 16 in 2023, has an opportunity for a rehearing in the next general session in January 2024. Restoring State Sovereignty Through Nullification Act, probably the favorite thing I've heard in the legislature since I myself got to Tennessee a year and three months ago. What do you think of all that? So it baffles me that rhinos in the Tennessee General Assembly know so little about the founding of our country that they think any and all recommendations, any and all laws, any and all power rests exclusively with the federal government and alphabet agencies. Time and time again, whether it uh, is the issue of indoctrination in our schools, if it's rampant illegal immigration, if it's anything, if it's federal funding and dollars, the rhinos up there in committee act as if there is no state sovereignty, that state sovereignty does not supersede federal sovereignty, which it does in the Constitution. We're going to increasingly have our rights encroached upon by the federal government. We have seen it year after year. They never, ever let up. They never will. So we have to have a well-defined process in the state of Tennessee, whereby if Joe Biden says you have to leave your firstborn child on the doorstep, 
because the CDC says that it's good for global warming, that you don't have to do that. And as a state, you can put a line in the sand and say, that's great if it's your edict, but we're not going to provide you with any state resources uh, to report it, to enforce it, to do anything else. Uh, and in fact, we're going to fight it. And so the fact that Janice Bowling uh, had to fight her own party to get that nullification bill reheard, which was killed in committee previously, uh, it is just amazing. But guess what? Janice Bowling also had to fight and was defeated by rhinos when she initially uh, sponsored the bill that would have stopped the transgender mutilation, which was killed by rhinos. And how many kids uh, have had their lives permanently damaged? because the rhinos in committee would not follow the Republican conservative uh, leadership of Janice Bowling. And I'll, I'll close with this final remark. If the men uh, in the Tennessee General Assembly were half the man that Janice Bowling is, we would have a lot more conservative government. She needs to go up there and teach uh, the boys how to be men. Mm. The same folks that think Hamas is that uh, Middle Eastern dip made out of chickpeas, right? Um, <laughs> Tennessee Department of Education attempt to do away with parents' rights. What the F? Well, explain this one again. Give me a better headline. Uh, that's your headline, and it was about a Department of Education in Tennessee, not the federal government. They have a bill to do away with parents' rights, and I'm just going to click right over here to TennesseeConservativeNews.com, and I'm going to have to cut that one out, Steve. I'm sorry. Okay, but I bet you not know all cut about it. Out. You may have to trim the video or whatever because I don't. I didn't read that. Okay. Let Tara's been see. here for a week at the house. We've been working on Painters Academy stuff, so I'm just kind of like out of it. Sorry. Okay. Let's move on. It's, you know, it's totally okay for you to say, I don't know. It's, you know, I, I love that line. I don't know, but I'll find out. Uh, yeah. A man who was discovered to be a twice deported Honduran national has been charged with two separate murders in Nashville in this past week. A second headline, the killer of a Chattanooga father and businessman has 66 prior arrests on his record with two involving confrontations with a weapon, a former TBI employee says that the justice system in Tennessee is like a, quote, criminal mill, end quote. What's going on with uh, law and order in our beloved Tennessee? Well, there are two things. Number one is rhinos like Bill Lee, Cameron Sexton, and uh, Randy McNally, despite having been harangued, pleaded with from their constituents back in their district to do anything about illegal immigration at the state level, the Chamber of Commerce, uh, all their corporate buddies, uh, continue to push back against any reforms that will reduce this stuff. Uh, the murders of people uh, by legal aliens, the violent crimes, things of that nature that happen in Tennessee, fall squarely on the shoulders of Republican leadership in, in the General Assembly. Uh, it's one thing if you did everything you could to turn off the magnets, the mass transportation, the abuse of the education, uh, the benefits, uh, the health care, and the criminal justice system. If they were doing everything they could to prevent it, and yet someone comes in and breaks the law, that's one thing. But when you advocate for more illegal uh, aliens, uh, when you put illegal alien centers in the backyard of, of Tennesseans like Bill Lee did in Chattanooga where kids are molested and lost, when you try to pass bills to give them professional licenses as an additional magnet, then you share in the blame, okay? 
it's one thing if you fight against it and something happens. It's quite another when you advocate for it, even like uh, the bills that were brought recently by William Lambert to try to make illegal aliens police officers in the state of Tennessee, or the one that was bought by Dale Carr to weaken the illegal immigration standards uh, for employees over 50 people. And this is what we have in the Republican Party consistently. And then folks wonder. Uh, and the other part I'll pivot to is, you know, our mayor in, in Tennessee – not in Tennessee, but in Chattanooga, uh, and the one that preceded him, uh, Andy Burke, are soft on crime. Uh, they don't police panhandling, public intoxication, littering, loitering, nothing like that. And when you signal to criminals that you will be accepting of criminal behavior, even if it reduces the quality of life and the safety of the taxpayers and the citizens, you attract more of them. And so we are basically just living uh, underneath the poor results of uh, shoddy government, and I believe that Tennesseans deserve better, but more importantly, as conservatives, we need to demand better, both at the ballot box, through our donations, and our activism. Amen. Yes, you're absolutely right. And I wasn't being rude. I was looking at a text I sent this morning about 4 a.m. West Coast time to my uh, journalist, Jonathan Cho, who covers the homeless crisis. Knox County and Knoxville sees the largest homeless population ever. So everything you just said is absolutely right, and it's hitting the street, and it's a human catastrophe, and uh, even the Republican of all Republican states isn't doing what we would hope would for her humanity. And I'd love to dwell on it a little longer, but got to move on. Um, and you all thought I was kidding in the intro, but listen to this headline. Wilson County School Board once again votes to keep pornographic materials in school libraries. Now, the key is once again. Tell us what's going on in Wilson County and why they want their little kids to see dirty pictures. So it, it, to me, it all goes back to the same situation. It's like, it's, it's like all this stuff we have. Libraries are nothing more than the government putting books on shelves. Government education is just the government in its best attempt to try to do something that is highly complicated that requires lots of uh, customization and customer service, which is education to kids, right? When you look at the private school market, you can see how many different flavors there are of education, the different goals, the different objectives. But in both public libraries and in government education, it's one size fits all. And if you don't like it, go somewhere else. And oh, by the way, we have a monopoly and we take your taxpayer dollars to do it. And so what you have over time is the ideologues who have very little uh, in the way of uh, talent that would translate into the free market embed themselves into these little boards, embed themselves into school boards, uh, embed themselves in these government job factories we call education. And as a result, uh, we end up with, with that set of values being forced upon not just adults and the um, in the uh, marketplace of ideas, but rather forced upon our kids uh, who do not have discernment, do not have judgment, do not have the ability to recognize good from bad. And the fact that people in libraries want to put this filth in front of kids and to think that it will not have any long-term consequences uh, is something that culturally we shouldn't accept, but I think it's something we've come to expect from government in general. Yeah, I've talked to a couple of lawmakers. Uh, the American Library Association is now run by a new president who is a self-proclaimed Marxist lesbian who absolutely wants those books and more and more and more in the schools. And so we're fighting really a big fight here. Um, and I haven't been able to follow the money yet to see why we even bother. But 
I think we are a part of the American Library Association. All right, last up. This one I'm actually excited about. Big fan of Daisy Duke and her fashion sense. Maybe not anymore at age 69. We, we'll see in a second, but certainly as a teenager in the 80s. Dukes of Hazard stars to reunite at Gallatin Comic Con, November 11 through 12, beginning at 10 a.m. Central Time at the Gallatin Civic Center. Tom Wopat, Luke Duke, will reunite with his former hit TV series co-star, John Schneider, Bo Duke, and Catherine Bach. Yay, Daisy Duke. You going? Yeehaw! I don't <laughs> know if I can make it to that. Uh, but I had a generally uh, birthday cake. Uh, complete with the Confederate flag on the top. Uh, I think maybe my first or second birthday. I had a plastic die cast. Generally, I had the uh, I had Daisy's Jeep. I used to play with it out in the dirt, uh, which I'm sure they will. You know, the, the people at the Tennessee Holler and uh, every other every other left wing organization that wants you to grovel uh, and and scrape every time you had anything to do with Southern culture or just popular culture in general. Uh, he listens well, well, to the someday. show, so you're going to hear about this. That's fine. It doesn't make any difference to me. I, <laughs> the, the moment you understand uh, that the left and the liberal media have absolutely no control over you, if you don't give a shit what they say, is when you really get to, to, to go back to what our founders uh, wanted, and that is to have a uh, unfettered free speech, which, you know, as we know, free speech is attacked by both the left and the right consistently. Uh, more on the left than the right, but uh, I'm all for it. And if, yeah. if I could, if I can get up there somehow, or if I'm in that neck of the woods, I would be happy uh, to go by. That was a that was a fun show, and I and I appreciate how they showcased so many good country music stars over the years on there. Waylon Jennings, Johnny Paycheck, uh, who else used to be on there? Oh, the guy that's the cousin of Jerry Lee Lewis, uh, Mel Tillis. Uh, yeah. I'll think about his name. The as devil went down to Georgia. Yeah, yeah, there's all kinds of. It was yeah. it was a fantastic show. It was and that's back, you know, it was on cable it was not on cable TV, it was on network TV. I mean there yeah. were three shows on and one of them was that one and it probably had the best rating. You and I had the same thing. I had the same birthday cake. Did you know she was in Thunderbolt and Lightfoot with Clint Eastwood and Bo Bridges, the dude? And I Michael Camino that. directed that, who also did Deer Hunter and Heaven's Gate, one of the biggest flops of all time. So there's that. Um and you are stuck up there on Signal Mountain in Chattanooga. So I'm sure you like 70s movies, right? That's right. <laughs> all right. All right. 15 minutes a month is never enough with you. The fountain of important information, all things Tennessee. Well, so if people want to know more about you, where can they go to subscribe to your newsletter or what podcast of yours should they subscribe to besides Mill Creek View Tennessee on Spotify and iTunes? Simply go to TennesseeConservativeNews.com, hit that subscribe button. If you feel led by the Lord to give, we would take your money. God knows we need it. And, of course, uh, search for Tennessee Conservative, especially on X and or Twitter and wherever you get your podcast, along with my good friend Steve Abramowitz, who does a great job here. We have hardly anyone. There's no one presently in the state of Tennessee, to my knowledge, that is doing more interviews with more newsmakers than Steve is. So please do support his work. Thank you. And you can, for $100 a month, you can subscribe to the Phil Williams Retirement Fund on your website, right? God, he is terrible. <laughs> terrible. What a, a liberal Democrat masquerading as an independent journalist. Uh, the, the fact that News Channel 5 allows that and the fact that subscribers don't rebel uh, and not watch that crap is, is beyond me. Well, Brandon, you know as well as I do, not all Dems are commies, but all commies are Democrats.
<laughs> this is true. <laughs> All right. We'll see you in a month. Uh, take care, bud. If you're like me and sick of the woke, unfunny content coming out of Hollywood these days and looking for something new and exciting, I found the website for you, movienight.com. The folks at movienight.com, that's movienight, one word, .com, has the first universal loyalty program that offers businesses like yours the opportunity to attract customers with their exclusive lineup of world-class titles. Titles like Daddy Daughter Trip with Rob Schneider, Triumph with Terrence Howard, and Nefarious, last year's blockbuster hit. Movie Night was founded to positively impact society through media. Check it out at movienight.com and enjoy the show. I don't understand how you ever did without me. I don't understand how I bring you down to your knees. Welcome back to the Mill Creek View Tennessee podcast we are focusing on the volunteer state and our nation today with always an interesting person making a positive change in our community this time special guests julius maddox and john jubilee but first for more information about the stable of mill creek view podcast visit us anywhere you get your podcasts and socials at mill creek view tennessee washington and florida while you're there please subscribe it's totally free to you and welcome to our People in the News episode, where I interview people who are making an impact and are lovers of truth. Today we are talking with Julius Maddox. Born and raised in Owensboro, Kentucky, he has been a professional powerlifter for two years. Growing up in Kentucky, he never knew powerlifting would be the path chosen for him, and his journey has not come easy. Being a standout high school athlete, he was projected to be a Division I football player, but several wrong choices changed those plans. From dealing with drug addiction, depression, and jail time, he was left at rock bottom. After being given a second chance and entering a recovery program, he chose to make a change. He chose to be irregular, to choose to live irregular. He is the American record holder for Raw Bench Press, currently ranked number one in the world for Raw Bench Press, and one of only five men in history to bench press over 700 pounds. Raw. There have been more men who walked on the moon than to have done what he has done. Now he is on a mission to help you be irregular and to show the world how to live irregular. Whether you want to improve your bench press, bring new life and energy to your gym, or inspire, motivate, and elevate your team, students, and or employees, don't do what others do. Be different. Be irregular. The life you live is valuable. Leave your mark. Be irregular. Live irregular. He says, hello, Julius. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you? Doing great. John, how are you? Spectacular. Honored to be here with the one and only Julius Maddox and Stephen Bromowitz. <laughs> That's true. Uh, my name's a little harder to pronounce. Um, Julius, I am really excited to have you here to tell us your story. Um, we're going to have to edit this because my notes are out of order. Okay. You're a big guy. Yeah. Thanks for coming in here. Um, not anyone can do what you do that I've ever met. Um, you say in your bio, during this time, I found two things that would change my life forever, my relationship with Christ and a dirty basement floor with some old weights. Using my faith for strength and guidance, I began powerlifting sooner than most. I entered the professional world of powerlifting and found a way to leave my mark. 
Tell us about your journey to this point. So let's kind of fast forward back to, uh, I guess I would say a little bit about my childhood, you know, uh, raised in a somewhat of a dysfunctional family, which we, we didn't know was dysfunctional. We just lived life and, uh, you know, just went about our day and, you know, being a younger kid, uh, by the age of eight, I was 179 pounds. Uh, they wouldn't let me even play Pop Warner football uh, because I was too big. They was afraid that I was going to hurt the other kids. So I uh, started playing basketball. Basketball was kind of my first love until I found, uh, you know, running the streets and doing the wrong things kind of filled that desire that I had doing the wrong things. And, you know, not soon after, I started to get in trouble. Uh, I played both sides of the fence, you know. There, there, nobody wakes up and, and says, hey, I want to be a career drug addict. But our actions and the steps that we take, uh, you know, that, that that's who defines who and what defines us. And, you know, when your friends are doing something, and I tell this to my students all the time, you are who you hang with. Uh, you are a makeup of your five closest friends. So a lot of times what your friends are doing, you're going to be doing. And, you know, I found myself in a place where my friends were stealing, my friends were robbing people, my friends were using drugs. And because we had built such a, you know, I finally felt completed because I had people around me. You know, I never, I didn't feel alone anymore. And that kind of contributed to the peer pressure. And I started to do those things that I once said I would never do. You know, in high school, I had this mental tally board that said, you know, I wouldn't have sex before marriage. I would never do anything to put myself in a position to go to jail or prison. You know, I'm going to graduate high school. Um, you know, these things that I said I would never do, apart from graduating high school, by the time I became a senior, you know, I scratched off everything off that mental tally board. And once you start compromising, meaning putting yourself in a position to fail, it just becomes habitual, just like anything else. I've never seen myself flourishing. I've never seen myself becoming great or attaining greatness. And that kind of set the tone for the next 10 years of my life once I graduated high school. That's amazing. Um, powerlifting is certainly what I'd call a solo sport, uh, just you against the weights. But it's like tennis or golf in that it's mental. You against yourself in your mind. Who encouraged you or mentored you to help you get to achieve your goal? Uh, there's a few. There's a few people that uh, that first come to mind. One was uh, my my counselor. So we talked about the basement and uh, where I first found my love for weightlifting. Um, I got into trouble uh, just like many other times, but this time that I had got in trouble, there was no bonding out of jail. There was no getting out. I was there to stay. And I had an option at, at one point to either go to prison and do my prison time, or I could do long-term rehabilitation program, do a long-term rehabilitation program. And uh, of course, because I wanted to get out, see my family, uh, I had been locked up for a significant amount of time. Uh, I would end up going to this long-term Christ center recovery program. And that's where I kind of found my love for weights just because I battled depression. When you're on drugs and alcohol, when you use these substances for so long and you're addicted to these substances, when you get off of them, it just, you stay at a state of low spirits. So I found that lifting weights uh, just helped combat those things. Well, 
one day we were down there. I've been lifting for about four months and I'm going to answer your question. I'm getting to there, but, uh, I had been lifting for about four months and, uh, one of the guys just made a remark. He said, I bet you can lift every single weight down here and keep in mind. I haven't lifted anything over 315 pounds at this time ever in my life. And a guy was just like, yeah, you, I bet you can lift every single plate down here. And I was like, you know what? Let's try it. You know, so we proceeded. They threw on every single plate that was on in the basement. You know, and in this basement, uh, in this Christ Center Recovery Program, was a 100-year-old home that had been reconditioned to have uh, community living. But the basement wasn't remodeled. So you're talking dirt floor, old steel weights, algae growing up the walls. And just not an ideal place where you'd think a, a weightlifter would be, but we proceeded. They threw all the weights on the on the bar, and I ended up repping the weight out three different times. And um, we added the weight up, which is not a good idea after the fact. Uh, and it ended up being 505 pounds. And I still didn't understand or knew the level of strength that was until uh, we, you know, one of the guys went back and told one of the counselors, and he called me into the office. And he was like, I don't think you understand like your your level of strength and you've only been training for four months. And I still didn't comprehend. And he his name is Josh Patterson. He was the one that was like, Look, you should start competing. Um, we can get you into a you know, a, a regular gym where you can actually have access to train with different types of machines and weights. And uh he ended up pushing me to uh start training. He actually found my first weightlifting coach, which is still my current coach today. But yeah, Josh Patterson and my coach Josh Bryant played a huge, significant role in, you know, the start of my weightlifting journey. Mm-hmm. Two J's and now two more J's. Yeah, Don't I know. Right? sitting here right next to you. Something's going on with the J, man. Lucky letter. Uh, how did you guys meet, John? So this was, uh, you know, great. We actually had a a mutual friend. He invited both of us. Uh, Julius is from Kentucky. Um, I live in Southern California and we met in Florida and so we were invited down there and uh, we happened to be there at the same time and while everyone else was in this board meeting Julius and I just struck up a conversation out there and we just had a immediate connection Uh, you know if you meet Julius Maddox in person he's uh he's just effervescent uh authentic genuine loving guy and uh you know he's as massive man he's a massive man but you know don't judge the book by the cover because he's got he's got a heart as big as he is he just has a giant heart and so i just immediately uh you know loved him and just loved his passion that he had for kids and wanting to change the world wanting to help people and you know wanting to be an inspiration and and at that time he was getting ready to uh you know to go do a, a you know this crazy max lift uh at wrigley field in chicago and i said man i'm coming you know i'm gonna come uh you know i'll, I'll come to your lift and you know i'll support you and so we just kind of struck up a friendship and then we always just kind of stayed connected uh you know by phone you know after the fact and um and then later on i'll, I'll share with you something that just happened recently but that that's how we originally connected okay well i do know that uh you said when you were in the dirt room you had 505 added up John, you're about to do 555 tomorrow, so we'll have to update everybody on the show uh, how that goes. But you're here together in the same town, Franklin, Tennessee, Murfreesboro, Tennessee, for your 555 lift, which is 50 pounds more than Julius started with. Well, well, amazingly, and I wouldn't be here without Julius, by the way. So it was really because, uh, you know, when this whole thing came about, um, 
you know, I just was at the gym, uh, you know, working out and these guys were like, dude, that's like world record stuff, what you're doing there. And I came home and kind of jokingly told my wife, you know, like, baby, these guys said I'm like a world record guy. And she said, well, how much are you lifting? And I said, well, you know, I lifted 515. I'm going to do 525. And and uh, so anyway, I left the house and to come back like six hours later. And my wife's been all over the Internet and she's researching. Now, this is all stuff Julius would have known, by the way. But uh, but for for my weight, you know, I'm about 180 pounds. Um, but, you know, right around in that, you know, give or take 20 pounds in that. Or I should say 180 to 200 the world record for a bench press was 540. And so my wife asked me, you know, honey, you think you could do 540? And I said, well, I'd have to train for it. You know, I said, but I think I could, I think I could do 540. And she said, well, the guy that did it, he was all on anabolic steroids. He wore one of those spring loaded 500 pound spring loaded shirts. And I said, well, I wouldn't do that. I said, but I would do a hammer strength decline, you know, and I said, I could beat it on that, you know, safely and naturally, you know, not wearing a shirt, which Julius doesn't wear a shirt, by the way. Most of those guys that lift weight like Julius, they're all wearing those 500-pound spring-loaded shirts. So I gave Julius a call, and I said, Julius, you think I could get 555? (laughs) And when Julius and I had bet, I was about 202 pounds back then, and we did have a, you know, a few minutes at the gym, you know, and of course, if Julius goes to a gym, though, everybody kind of mobs him, you know, he, he, he can't go anywhere in a gym. He's a, he's like Elvis in the building. <laughs> and so anyway, Julius said, John, I think I could give you some tips. I, th- I think you could do it. And so then I told my wife, honey, I'm a numbers guy. I'm going to do 555, you know, and so, so Julius did, he really helped me. He gave me some totally different things I'd never done before, you know, to do, uh, with my workout. And then he, uh, graciously, you know, agreed to come down and, and help me out, you know, for the day of the lift. So he's been totally instrumental. I wouldn't be here without, without Julius and without his coaching. Oh, well, tomorrow will be very exciting. Is that the way you remember it? And, and oh, absolutely. you are a coach also. So do you have other, uh, uh, uh yeah, so this is kind of a little different than what I'm used to coaching, but you know, uh, any, anything like this comes to mind is, you know, he didn't have to show up to my lift at Wrigley Field. You know, he came all the way across the country for one day to watch me lift. And, you know, that means the world that, you know, you got support from, you know, people that, you know, you've only met one time, you know. So uh, at the end of the day, when he called me, I'm like, you know, I got you. I'll, I'll take care of it, you know. So that's kind of the, the just. But, yes, he's going to get the weight tomorrow. <laughs> for sure. Okay, let's go back in time a little bit. Age 25. Okay. The Owensboro Police Department Street Crime Unit arrested you on drug trafficking charges after large amounts of marijuana and controlled substances, which you had, um, and others shipped through the U.S. Postal Service. All right, that's the past. This is a, that was a federal offense that could have landed you in prison for many years to come. Now, serving um, your time in Davies County Detention Center, and not sorry, not now, but then you <laughs> sir, you're, you're good now. Uh, Davies County Detention Center in Owensboro. You face troubles with drug addiction, depression, and jail time. How did you overcome the hardship to get straight? Uh, th- there's there's multiple factors. I would say the main one, and, and I'm, I'm a firm believer uh, in Christ and, and uh, Jesus, that's it. I can't, you know, when, whenever I take over and, and, and it's me in charge and I'm in the driver's seat, 
uh, I'm the guy that's going to drive us right off the bridge. And I've known that, uh, you know, since my life has changed and I've surrendered my life, and I'll say this on any platform wherever I go, it's 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 plain, it's it's simple, it's simple to me. Uh, but other than that, I would say my wife and my kids. My wife and my kids have been truly, like I, I was telling John on the way here, my daughter saved my life, you know. Uh, that day, October 25th, 2012, sitting in a jail cell uh, on my daughter's first birthday um, helped me to realize that the weight of my sins and not only the weight of my sins, that my actions don't just affect me, that it affects everybody around me. And, you know, that was a, a, a life-changing moment in that season. Yeah, yeah. I, I wrote down uh, Proverbs fifteen ten. Discipline is severe for one who leads the way, leaves the way, and whoever can't stand correction will die. I read about that day of yours. After the family visit was over, the coercive cocktail of worry and guilt was too much for you to bear. You began sobbing uncontrollably as as he entered his jail cell. It was at that moment. That Maddox had reached his lowest point in life, and at that very second, he realized he needed to summon up an inner strength that would far exceed any physical strength he could ever muster up in order to seek change. Was going to jail the best thing that could have ever happened to you? Absolutely. Um, it was a time where, you know, I sat still, and I needed that time to sit still and to be off of those substances. Uh, because, I mean, we're talking about also to addiction here. When it comes to being an addict, some people just can't comprehend of what it's like to be an addict. And the best analogy that I can give you to depict of what it's like being an addict is you ever played that game in a swimming pool where you try to hold your head underwater so you can hold their head underwater the longest, right? You know that urgency of coming up for air, that feeling of what you need that I have to have air or literally I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die. I feel like I'm going to die. That's what it's like being addicted to drugs. And, you know, it took me going to jail to be away from all the madness and chaos, uh, you know, for for that period of time in which there were still drugs in there. uh, But I still had enough time to – I couldn't move. Sit still. It says, uh, be still, know that I am God. And and, uh, that's that's what I kept playing over and over again in my head. And the, the scripture, Psalm 41, just, I just remember writing the scripture, Psalm 41, over and over again. Uh, and it goes, uh, I'm paraphrasing what, which is, I know I shouldn't be paraphrasing scripture, but it says, I waited patiently, I, I, I waited patiently for the Lord. I cried out to my God, my, I cried out to God. But basically the scripture is telling us that I was in a season where I was, I, I begged God, I pleaded with God and I waited patiently for him to respond. And he, he did respond. And he not only responded, but he took me out of the situation that I was in and put my foot up on a rock. And, and literally, the, the scripture says, put a new song in my mouth. And I could recall myself in, sh- in the shower before going to work singing gospel songs and, and, and worship songs um, instead of the old filth that I was you know practicing before. So the scripture was true and it, and it, it spoke to me. But yes, jail actually changed my life. And your time in lockup got even worse when your wife and child came to visit you and Davies, uh, your youngest daughter, who had just had her first birthday, reached out to her father in the visiting room only to be separated by a thick partition glass wall, which prevented you 
from any type of physical touching. That must have been devastating. Yeah, it was. It was. It, it was during that seat. I mean, like I, like we talked about earlier, that was the pivotal moment for me. Uh, you know, I, I told my my wife. I said, I don't want you to bring her up here. I, I just remember as a kid being around other kids where, you know, they would say, "I'm going to go see my dad." You know, go visit my dad. You know, this weekend, and he's locked up in prison. And I remember as a kid thinking that I would never be one of those type of dads. You know, seeing what my mom went through, I said I would never put my spouse or put my kids through that ever. And, you know, sitting in that visitation room, it was like a time lapse of everything that I went through as a kid and all the compromising that I've done leading up to, you know, putting myself in a position where I I became worse than my dad was, you know. And that's when I heard that. And I'm not saying that I heard God audibly speak to me, but we sat down at this visitation table. There's a two inch thick piece of glass here dividing both of us. And there's a steel table and my daughter's standing on the other side of the table. Just, you know, she's learning how to walk. So she's taking her steps, just doing what kids are, just being curious. And it was like a reaction. Like she just stopped what she was doing, turn around and looked at me dead in my eyes and tried to touch me through the glass And it was like what I heard play in my head was, Daddy, why can't I touch you? And that just literally just broke me down. It 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 broke me. It it was a profound moment in my life, Uh, and I I still tell today, like you know, I love you, and and I want you to know that you changed my life. You saved me. Um, Apart from like God used you to save me, Mm -hmm. you know. So, and and I still remember what that feels like deep down inside. Uh, And and, and I just want to touch on this real quick. Because uh, they're, they're, we live in a culture where addiction is prevalent and, and it's at its all-time high and people are dying by the masses in our nation. And I know that there's somebody on this podcast that is probably struggling right now with, with addiction and not knowing what to do or have or they have a kid that is that is in this vicious cycle that they can't get out. But it's not that the person doesn't love you. It's, it's, it's because we are blinded and it is, it is a, it is a tactic used by the enemy. But a guy hit me with this one time. Um, I had been working through that, at that, uh, at the Christ Center recovery program. First time holding a job for over a year, ever in my life. Uh, we're right. I'm at this time. I'm a paint con. I'm basically a work for a paint contractor. So I'm painting uh, industrial and commercial buildings. Well, we're on our way. And I, I remember one of the, things that I hated about the mornings was watching the sun rise up over the trees because it reminded me of being out all night. And I hated that feeling of just being up, running around, being high, just, you know, chasing the dragon, as we say. And the guy looked at me and, and, you know, it's, it's about five forty-five, six 6 AM. And he looks at me and he says, Hey, did you love your kids when you was out there? And, uh, I, I, I thought I looked at him. I said, yeah, I, lo- I loved my kids, you know? And he paused for for a minute and just kept driving. We're in a little bitty S ten, so we're 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 closer than me and John is. And he said, uh, "No, did you did you really love your kids?" And I said, "Yeah, I, I loved them. I love my kids more than anything." And he proceeded to ask me a couple more times to where I'm getting frustrated at this point. It's early in the morning, you know. We're about to go work in the hot sun all day, and I'm and, and I respond. I said, "Yes, I loved my kids so much." And he hit me with the punchline. He said, if you loved your kids so much, then why didn't you just stop using drugs and do the right thing and be a man? And when he said that, my response was anger. I got upset. 
but then I'm processing and I'm thinking, how can I be upset when he's right? The fact that I loved the lifestyle, I loved the drugs, I loved the partying more than I loved my own flesh and blood. And I feel like that was the that was one of the low blows that literally solidified who I was in Christ and who I was as a person that I wasn't going back. I was done compromising. Um, and the fact that I loved something over my own flesh and blood, something that was a gift to me, um, just kind of helped me change my whole perspective on life and, and, and to really want to change. So if you were in that driver's seat of that car today, what would you tell a young man facing those same problems on how to survive it? I would literally ask them the same set of questions and I would tell them, you know, I am you. I was that guy. And it's possible to change. It's possible to live your life to the fullest. Uh, somebody asked me, you know, I always tell them when, when when someone says, hey, so what do you do for a living? I'm like, you know, I lift weights, but I don't know what I know. What I, I don't know what I do. I don't know. I don't know what I want to be when I get older because, you know, now the opportunities that I have are just. They're everywhere, and uh, I just remember laying in that jail cell, and I said, "Lord, if you if you give me an opportunity, I will never pass the opportunity that you give me. I will take life on to the fullest. I will make sure that I, I that I leave this earth with the empty cup or a full cup, whichever whichever one you want me to have. I'm going to do it just for you. And you know, I've been rolling ever since. That's amazing. Uh, because of what you were given, a choice between two five year prison sentences or entering a recovery program." Looking back, do you think the program was good or would you, as let's say with your knowledge now, your wisdom, do that program differently? Meaning, did you, did your own will help you recover or did the system in place they put you in have a bigger impact on getting you healthy? Well, let, let's just be real. My own will, my own accord, my own thought process landed me with two five-year prison sentences. Uh, it, it took me being in a structured environment. It took a man telling me, you need to shut up and listen. Uh, that's what it took for me to fully grasp. And, and it wasn't that they would tell, like that somebody told me literally to shut up and listen, but they taught me, you know, to, to it's not always wise to talk all the time, you know, and uh, soak things up. And they didn't just tell me they lived it out with their own life. The place is called Friends of Centers. It's a, it's a Christ Center recovery program in Owensboro, Kentucky. Great program. Uh, it changed my life. I had to spend, I ended up spending three years and, and the crazy thing is, is a lot of people would rather go to prison and do their time than to go to, at this time, go to that facility because it was so extensive. I mean, you're talking abstinence from sex. You're talking, you know, getting up every morning, doing, you know, uh, six hours worth of classwork every day and going, doing a job. Uh, it was the, it was the totally opposite of what you think. It was literally, we called it spiritual boot camp, And that's what, you know, the Lord used that place to, to build a, a soldier for Christ. Mm -hmm. So John, you're, you're heavy into discipline, obviously with your program, your protocol at energized health and discipline as well. You can use to get to where you are in your level. Do you think this movement of jail reform and letting people out with no bail just to end up back in 10, sometimes 50 times is good for them or bad for them? Uh, it's bad for them. I feel like, uh, you know, there needs to be more programs implemented in the prison system for uh you know uh, offenders you know we for example you know the courts a lot of times reach out to me when they have troubled teens and you know whether just to talk to them give them some wisdom you know give them some encouragement 
And I sat down recently about a, about eight months ago with a kid. He's 14 years old. And I said, where do you see yourself in the next, you know, five to 10 years? And this 14-year-old kid told me, dead, in jail, or in prison, one of them. And I said, but why? And the kid said, because my daddy did it. My brothers did it. So it's on me, too. But his mindset was, you know, I'm going to go to jail. He told me this. He's like, if I go to jail, I'll get out anyway. So I feel like there needs to be programs that that have to be mandated that you have to complete before you get out. Not just a SAP. I'm talking... Um, intense programs uh, and programs that can help you give you uh, it's different when you leave jail with the purpose when you leave jail or prison with the purpose and you're ready to get get back into the workforce you got to understand a lot of these people when they come out they get out of jail they're homeless so three things that 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 keep people in that vicious cycles old people old places old things when you don't have a structured environment to go home to, you're going back to those old people, old places, old things, mm-hmm. in which continues to feed the cycle over and over again. So until we find or develop a program, which there are certain programs, but you're hearing them now to where they're taking the programs out of the prison system. Uh, but also too, uh, there's a jail. There's a there's a jail down in Florida where uh, he's big on you know, hey, you do your time and your time should be hard. And I'm I'm a firm believer in that too. There shouldn't be TVs. There shouldn't be basketball goals. There shouldn't be uh, uh, rec sports because, and I'm just a believer in that because a lot of times, you know, uh, you would hear people coming to jail talking about it's easy because think about it. When you're in jail, there's no responsibility. You're fed. You know, you get, you, you know, you get health when, whenever it's available. You do get health care. You know, so to some, it's a piece of it's a piece of cake. It's you know they come in and have a, have a good time. It's a vacation mm-hmm. away from you know reality. You know, while better, their kids are out there living on their own. Better than life on the street for sure. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So, so, John, you deal with habits. Julius just listed the three habits that put you back on the street because they're used to it. That's what they know. Their parents probably taught them the habits, and they did the habits. When you're dealing with addiction, not only sugar, but I'm sure some hard drugs, people come in to change their life and transform for better. How do you relate that, what Julius just said, to, to the way you coach? Well, well, first of all, I mean, you know, Julius really, you know, hit it on the head. You know, unless someone's committed to make a change, which obviously Julius had, he had the commitment. He wanted to change. So he actually made a conscious decision. You know, he, he could have taken this path or this path, you know, he chose the more difficult path, you know, of discipline of change. He wasn't going to go back to the old, the old ways. And by the way, you know, when you choose this path, the same old path, you know, you're screwed. So guess what? You know, learn the sign language, choose this path. This is a good path. It'll get you where you want to go. But even something as simple as, uh, you know, making a commitment, that's the number one decision to change your life. But we have many people that have come into our program, you know, they're in another kind of prison, you know, they're in a mental prison, you know, where they don't even realize it's whether it's alcohol, drugs, pornography, addiction is addiction. So there's, you know, th- there's no one that's worse or better than another one. Addiction, addiction is addiction. So I've had a lot of people, I'm talking high level, you know, doctors, attorneys, uh, high level CPAs, CEOs, they're drinking a fifth of alcohol every day. They're doing pornography every day. 
But what's amazing is when they make a decision, even if it's just for their health initially, the addiction goes away. Well, why? Because once you make a decision, you get moving in the right direction, you get momentum in the right direction. So you start moving away from one negative thing, just like what Julius did, all the negative things you automatically are moving away from. And that can be life changing of number one is just make a right decision that you want to start moving in a positive direction in any one area. And it'll help you get away from all those other areas. Nice. All right. I got time for just a couple more. So six pro open raw division competition held in Mountain View, California, uh, when he pressed a mind numbing 739.6 pounds, bettering the previous world record of 738.5 pounds set in 2016 by Russia's Kirill Sarichev, an achievement many experts in the powerlifting world thought would last for decades to come. Like Rocky Four, basically, Kirill Sarchev uh, from Russia in 2016 set a world record raw three-lift powerlifting total of 2,386.5 pounds, which is 738.5 times three. Did he... Did his record motivate you? Did you know anything about that? No, actually, yeah. So it it was a reaction. Uh, it, it did it it discouraged me because I was in route. So I was in route. That's when I started to process. All right, we're going to go towards seven hundred pounds on a bench press, which was still unheard of. Well, this Russian came out of nowhere, and not literally out of nowhere, but he just pushed the envelope so far. So the record before him was seven twenty two. He pushed it from 722 to 738. That's a significant amount of weight, like as far as jumping wise. So when it came to me, my thoughts were, man, I don't know if I'll ever be able to catch this guy, you know, especially if he, you know, continues to compete. But I, re- I had an email from my coach and he said, you will be the all time world record holder in bench press. And it goes to show you, like, even though you don't think that you could do this, like, other people will believe it before you do. And he believed in me from day one, you know? And so it's not three lifts, just not to make a correction. I'm just saying. Yeah. So the three lifts would be squat, bench, deadlift. Uh. But he broke his, the 738. I don't, the, the information they had, it was kind of mixed up. He did it. It was a single lift. So he had an actual event put on in Russia where it was just him bench pressing. And that was it. So that's when he broke the 738. I came back, responded with, 739 people discredited because the actual guy that was helping spot the weight, there's three spotters. He jumped and cheered, bumped the weight. When I locked it out, I dropped it. Usually the weight, the the lift is complete whenever you rack it. Well, I didn't have time to rack it because he bumped the weight, Mm. but Corral actually got on, uh, got on because it was his federation that I did it in. And he said the lift was good. He said, I locked it out. Anyway, uh, so just to prove to the world, to prove to everybody else, because I knew I was destined for this lift. I knew I was destined for greatness. Five weeks later, I went and did it again, beat it by five pounds. (laughs) Six months later, I did it again and beat it by, (laughs) I jumped up, what, 40 pounds, 30, 38 pounds. And, uh, you know, and that's where the name comes from. The name is not about the name. Somebody's like, oh, because it's a regular bench press or because you're just, no, the name irregular is just about being different from the norm, being different from the world. I know where my power comes from. It comes from the man above. 
Without him, I wouldn't be where I'm at today. And that's what makes me irregular. When the rest of the world will say, I did this, look what I did. And it's not what I did. It's, it's, it's all what Christ has done for me. That's amazing. It really is. Uh, you aren't 40 yet, I don't think. No, I'm 36. 36. And last I read, 440 pounds. 410. Lost some weight. 410. Good job. Okay, 6'3". 6'3". 6'4". 6'4". Okay. 6'4". Added an inch and lost some weight. Does <laughs> Or my stats are bad. <laughs> Does height help out? Uh, yeah, I wouldn't say as much. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you, you know, I wouldn't say as much as as much as weight does. Mass moves mass. So the bigger you are, the more, to an extent, the bigger you are, the the more leverage you have for the bench press. Now, given I, I hopped on uh, John's protocol about three years ago, and I lost about thirty pounds, and lost it too quick, and my not that I wasn't I felt great I was still strong but I lost it too fast my body you know it kicked it kicked my body in the overdrive you know and which is a great thing when you're trying to lose weight it's 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 phenomenal and you want to keep some strength it's phenomenal but me personally I lost it we wasn't expecting for me to lose that much weight I want to say it was like 30 pounds in like two months yeah and that's a lot of weight to be to be dropping uh so for my sport I have to have a certain amount of muscle mass, a certain amount of weight for leverage in general. So, uh, and that's just a plug-in because it, it it did it worked. But which is also a great segue because didn't you have a phone call about your lift and weight and something that Julius? So this last phone call uh, that I had with Julius, um, you know, he's always checking up on me and you know making sure I'm I'm on track. And so every week he's giving me my you know, kind of my updates and my tips. Here's what I want you to work. Here's a percentage of weight I want you to lose, uh, or not not weight to lose, weight losing off the lift. So interestingly, I was a little counterintuitive for me. It, it was a little awkward. You know, Julius would be like, "No, I don't want you lifting out with that that heavy of a weight." You know, work with this weight, and so he really does have a methodology. And so I just totally submitted myself to his expertise. You know, I take expert advice. So he'd tell me, no, this week, I want you just working out with this, work out with that. And But we get on our last phone call, and Julia says to me, uh, okay, John, the only other thing, uh, we never really talked about food, and and uh, and Julius uh, didn't realize I just challenged my whole team. We're going to all hit our restart button on the Energize Health Protocol. And so, of course, on the protocol, you're going to gain some lean muscle, you're going to gain your hydration, but you're also going to lose subcutaneous and visceral fat. Um, and I told my team, you know, based on everything, and I kind of was always in the maintenance phase for 27 years. And, you know, I ran a pretty healthy 15 to 17% body fat, which is very healthy, uh, you know, and lean, you know, it's all green on the scales and all that. But I, I thought, well, if I really do this, I'm probably going to lose 20 pounds if I really hit the button hard. So I hit it and very disciplined. I'm doing all this training. And, and I did. I dropped 20 pounds. Uh, I dropped 20 pounds of fat. You know, my hydration went up, you know, which I was already at 60. I went to 62%. So I'm feeling good. And, but when I mentioned to Julius, I lost 20 pounds. Uh, you know, I kind of got a little bit of a dead air. You know, in the radio business, they call it dead air. <laughs> it was dead air. And then when he finally spoke, he basically said something along the effect, and I'll let him speak to this in a minute, but he basically said something along the effect of, John, that's not our world, you know, in the, in the, high lift heavy weight like this 
world, he said, you, you want to be gaining mass. You know, you want to be gaining mass. You cannot be losing weight and lift 555 pounds. You can't do that in our world, John. It, it, it works. It works the other way. <laughs> yeah. So I, I was kind of shocked when he said that, because typically, you know, you, when you're gaining weight and you're trying to get stronger, you want to be in a caloric surplus. Like, so you want to be eating, uh, if you're going to be eating clean foods, it needs to be, you know, just almost, almost doubled what you're used to taking in. And, you know, which most people, they kind of eat dirty and clean. But when he told me that it just, it just kind of shocked me. I, I, I didn't know how to respond. Cause I'm like, why, why my, my first question was why, but why would you do this? And again, this goes into, you know, him not being familiar with my world, just like when he brings me into his world, I'm not familiar with that, you know? So I had to break it down to him and explain. But at the end of the day, he said, uh, he, I remember he said, you know what, Julius? He said, I got this. He's like, he's like, I got this. Um, this is something that I want. And he said, I know God wants this. Some, some along the lines like that. And I said, all right, well, I'm here to support you. I'm here to aid you. So whatever I got to do to help, let's do it. But I said, one thing is you need to eat. You, you got your goal. Let's get some food in you, you know? So, uh, yeah, it scared me. It was yeah. Scary. Well, John is definitely irregular. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, definitely. I'll, I'll tell you this, that, uh, you know, this really was never a human goal. It was never a goal of mine to lift heavy or lift a lot of weight. It's really the fruit of, uh, faithfulness. And interestingly, and Steve, I love to share this with you because, you know, I teach real science and I teach people to speak to their cells on the Energized Health Protocol, um, you know, and you guys can, you know, go look all this up. It's scientific. You know, when you speak to a cell positive, your cell hears you and it responds. So there's all kinds of scientific studies done where when you speak positive to a cell and fast freeze it, it looks like a beautiful snowflake or some beautiful artistic you speak negative to a cell and it looks like a, a horrible black thorn bush and your cells respond to the words they hear. And for 27 years, 27 years, I just got a tiny bit stronger because every day during my workout, I speak to my cells and I say, the Lord is my strength. A hundred times a day, every single workout, the Lord is my strength. And if I lift this weight at 555 pounds, which has never been done on a, uh, a decline hammer strength machine in the world, 555 pounds, it's the only free weight machine. No one will be able to dispute scientifically speaking to cells the Lord is my strength that works. And so that's why when I shared with Julius, no Julius, I believe God wants me to do it. Why? Because it, it proves a truth. Even the word science defined is the search for the truth that is known. And I believe it's a scientific truth that not only when you speak to a cell, but when you speak to a cell that the Lord is your strength, that it's not about me, not about my strength. No, I'm saying the Lord is my strength. And if you see me, I'm a little guy, especially if you see me with Julius. I'm a real little guy, <laughs> you know, and I'm probably about a buck 79, by the way. I'm probably about 179 pounds. I got a 30 inch waist, you know, 
that's a little guy to be pushing 555 pounds, a triple, triple, three point something, my body weight, uh, for a 179-pound guy to be lifting 555. So I do believe I'm doing this to the, to the glory of God, and it will prove a scientific, indisputable, undeniable fact. Well, last question then. We, we, I mentioned it. You're not yet 40. Your goal was to get up to 800 pounds on the bench. You did it. Not yet. Well, you're going to do it. I'm going to do it. You're going to do it. You'll, you'll, you have four beautiful kids, a beautiful wife. So what is next for Julius Maddox? What are your new goals once you hit the 800? I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. <laughs> you know, I just, my ultimate goal is helping people. You know, uh, I have, I have uh, many different things that I want to do, but I do want to lose. I'm going to lose around 130 pounds and record the whole process. Want to get well, well below uh, three hundred pounds eventually, and this is long term. But I haven't got away from, you know, what's gotten me to where I'm at today, and that's going to schools, encouraging kids, speaking, going to prisons, uh, coaching, and helping people, you know, find the best versions of themselves. I think that's what I was created for. Uh, before powerlifter, obviously, I'm a I'm a son of God, but I've been put on this earth to inspire and help the world to achieve their dreams, whatever that is, you know, in a positive fashion. God bless. That is amazing. Well, Julius and John, we are at a time. Unfortunately, I could keep talking to you guys for another hour. Uh, please tell our listeners where they can go to find out more about you. Maybe follow your weight loss program online. If you have a channel, anything you want them to know about social media. Yeah. So for the, for the link for energized health will be under my, will be, we'll give you the link to that. But my other platforms are irregular strength, and that's I-R-R-E-G-U-L-A-R, strength. And you can just, that's on all, TikTok, Instagram. I have a YouTube channel, uh, Irregular Strength. I'll give you all the handles though also. Okay, they'll be in show notes. John, anything? Uh, I'm just just super excited, you know, and, and I will say uh, Julius is a stronger man of God than he is on that bench press. Uh, and he's the strongest guy in the world. Uh, got a beautiful heart, and I would encourage anyone that's listening, uh, if you've got kids, uh, high school, any of those platforms, uh, as you can tell, he's an extraordinary speaker, totally inspirational. You can't imagine until really you meet him in person. So I'm, I'm sure he comes across great on this platform, but I'm just telling you, you meet this guy in person, uh, he's life-changing, he's inspirational, and uh, you know I'm just honored to, to be on the journey with him. All right, and thanks again for sharing that journey with us on the, on the Mill Creek View podcast.
Any views or opinions represented on the podcast are personal and belong solely to the creator and do not represent those of people, institutions, or organizations that the creator may or may not be associated with in a professional or personal capacity unless explicitly stated.